Welcome back to the Deer Show. Well, this is it. This is the long-awaited indictment. They have labored mightily, and they have produced a mouse. 34 mice, 34 mice, but mice, you know, reproduce very quickly. Uh, this is a 34-count indictment, which, as I said before, reminds me of what the owner of the delicatessen used to tell me when I was working on Delancey Street um, in the Lower East Side of New York when I was 14 or 15 years old, slice the salami thin. You get more slices that way. We can sell it for more. That's what he used to tell me, and I sliced my salami thin. And that's what the prosecutor did in this case. He took basically a transaction, uh, which isn't a crime, uh, paying hush money to a um, former porn star. It was a crime, by the way, a crime by the former porn star. It's the crime of extortion. When you say to somebody, unless you pay me money, um, I will go public and tell your wife and your family and your business associates and ruin your brand. That's called extortion. But it's not a crime to pay the hush money. Um, and, and, and you go through this thing and there are you know, 34 counts and they're all the same pretty much. Um, uh, uh, they just, you know, they break it down into the various checks that were paid. But it's essentially, essentially the same. At the essence, at the center of the alleged crime here is that he had one reason and one motive for paying the money, just one motive. It had nothing to do with helping his wife. It had nothing to do with saving the embarrassment for his children, nothing to do with his business, nothing to do with his brand. And remember, Trump's wealth all grows out of his brand. He, I remember he used to sell vodka. Somebody sent me a tie, a Trump tie. I used to fly on Trump Airlines because it flew from Boston to New York when it was briefly bought, I think, from Eastern Airlines. So it's the brand. And um, the argument is that there was only one reason, one, one, one reason why Trump paid the $130,000. And that was to win the election. So it was a, a campaign contribution. And he had to know under this theory, he had to know that it was a crime to pay $130,000 to a porn star if it would help him in the election. He had to know that and his intent had to be essentially to make a campaign contribution. Campaign law is so weird. First of all, do you have to report a campaign contribution that you yourself made and paid for out of your own uh, money? You know, the Edwards case was litigated on a series of assumptions about campaign contributions and the jurors laughed them out of court and acquitted in a relatively short period of time. So, and this is a much harder case than Edwards. In Edwards, the actual charge was a campaign contribution under federal law. Here, the charge, I'm just laughing at it. It's a tragedy, but I'm laughing at it. It's just a silly, silly charge. It may win because this is New York and Manhattan, but I'll tell you, we'll get to that in a minute. But the charge itself is so silly that the only reason he paid the $130,000 was to help him win election. And the argument they make in support of that is, was on the eve of election. Well, of course, that's when the extortion occurred. Uh, Stormy Daniels knew it could affect the 
election. And so she and her lawyers demanded the money before the election. Uh, if they had demanded it after the election, they would have gotten bupkis this way. They got one hundred thirty thousand dollars. So it doesn't really it doesn't really prove their case. Look, it's so clear that uh, the money was paid out of a variety of motives and you can't psychoanalyze a defendant and base 36 charges of criminal conviction on the uh, Freudian notion uh, or the anti-Freudian notion that it had nothing to do with sex, that it had um, everything to do with uh, electability. And, um, you know, this is at a time when Trump had already been accused of so many sexual misconducts, including, remember the audio tape where he says, look, if you're like me, you can grab people's, I'm not even going to mention the word. Um, and I remember when that happened and everybody said the election was over, the election's over. No woman is going to vote for a man who says that being famous like him allows him to touch. No, it had no effect on the election as far as anybody can tell. And um, I doubt that having uh, a consensual adulterous affair, how many years earlier was it? 10 years earlier? would have turned the election over to Hillary Clinton. I wish it had. I'm a Hillary Clinton supporter. I voted for her. I supported her. I campaigned for her. I contributed to her. But that is not what determined uh, the election. The election was determined, I think, I've always thought, by James Comey's um, ill-advised statement uh, just before the election, indicating that uh, what she had done was uh, irresponsible and uh, she wasn't being prosecuted because nobody else had previously been prosecuted for that. Well, that's true here. D.A. Bragg went on television today, looked the American public in the eye and said the following. This is our business. This is what we do all the time. We, we charge people with crimes like this all the time. It's our bread and butter. This is, after all, New York. This is the, the, the commercial capital of the world. We have to keep our, our records straight. All right, Bragg, I challenge you. Find me one case, one case in the history of New York. Go back to Aaron Burr. Go back to Alexander Hamilton. By the way, Alexander Hamilton had a similar problem. You remember, he was extorted and he ended up doing the smart thing. He wrote a book about it. You cannot find me a single case, and I challenge you to do it, in which somebody was indicted for paying hush money to prevent a sexual encounter from being made public and then listed on his public corporate forms. Oh, by the way, the reason I paid the hush money, $130,000, was to make sure that the reason I paid the hush money for would never come out. But I'm making it come out now. So why did I pay the hush money? If by paying the hush money, I had to list on my corporate form that which I tried to hush up, <laughs> would any rational per person ever pay hush money? It's just $130,000 thrown out the window. You pay the money, you get an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Then you have to put on your public record everything that's in the non-disclosure agreement, which you promised and they've promised not to disclose. D.A. Bragg, find me such a case. Find me such a case. Anybody who believes that there's ever been such a case, there's a bridge connecting Manhattan to Brooklyn. It's called the Brooklyn Bridge. It's for sale. You could buy it cheap. Yeah, that's the kind of logic that people would use in trying to sell a bridge like that. There's just nothing to it. Look, is did Trump do the right thing? 
No, I, I don't know whether he had an affair with uh, Stormy Daniels. If he did, it wasn't right. Is it a crime? No, I don't know whether he paid hush money. Apparently he did. There's, there's records that show that. Is that a crime? No. Is it the right thing to do? I wouldn't do it. I would never pay hush money at in a million years, I follow the uh, Alexander Hamilton theory. I write books. I was accused. I wrote a book called Guilt by Accusation. So uh, I'm, I'm of the Alexander Hamilton, not the Donald Trump school. But people who are of the Donald Trump school, if he indeed paid the hush money and if the allegation was true, it doesn't really matter whether the allegation was true. You can be extorted for something that's false. If somebody comes up to you and says, I will claim that I had an affair with you unless you pay me money, that's extortion, even if you didn't have an affair with the person. But, you know, you go through this indictment. I went through it and I was concerned. I thought maybe uh, maybe I had been wrong. Maybe there was more to it. Maybe they really did have that video of Donald Trump killing somebody on Fifth Avenue. Maybe they had the video of the. Uh, Donald Trump tearing the tag off the uh, the mattress, which is a violation of law. Nobody's ever in the history of the world been prosecuted for it. But the tag says it's a violation of the law. So the first thing I did is I went through this very carefully. I haven't studied word for word, but if you you know look at it uh, uh, fairly quickly, it's obvious that there are 34 relatively identical counts involving bookkeeping and they're all misdemeanors but Bragg thinks Bragg who specializes in turning felonies into misdemeanors he charges people who committed serious felonies with misdemeanors was determined to turn this alleged misdemeanor which I don't think was a misdemeanor into 34 felonies and uh, just go, go, go online and read the indictment. Indictments are scary because they set things out in legalese that most people don't understand. Um, and they, they, they make you feel you must have done something wrong. All these pages, all these counts, must be something wrong. The defendant in the county of New York on about May 22nd, 2017, they do that to bring it within the statute of limitations, um, let's see, 2017, yeah, that brings it within the statute of limitations by a month, uh, with intent to defraud and intent to commit another crime and aid and conceal the commission thereof, Maiden caused a false entry in the business records of an enterprise to wit an invoice from Michael Cohn dated May 22nd, 2017, marked as a record of Donald Trump and kept and maintained by the Trump organization. That has to be, of course, attributed to Donald Trump. You can't indict a person based on what corporate records say unless the individual himself um, made the corporate records or was somehow legally accountable for the making of the corporate records. But, you know, again, that's not the issue. The issue is not what Trump did. The issue is what was in his mind. Was he making these payments and listing them as legal expenses, a misdemeanor. They were, by the way, legal expenses. He was paying them to prevent a lawsuit from being brought because that's what she would have done. She wouldn't have held a press conference. She would have filed a lawsuit. Why? Because if you file a lawsuit, you're protected against defamation charges, whereas if you hold a press conference, you're not. So she almost certainly would have filed a lawsuit. The lawsuit wasn't filed. 
Cohen for whatever else he did or didn't do stopped the lawsuit from being filed. That's called a legal expense. You know, you may say he stretched it. It shouldn't have been a legal expense. It should have been something else. You don't indict people for that. And Bragg doesn't indict people for that. And Cyrus Vance's predecessor didn't indict people for that. And Robert Morgenthau and Frank Hogan didn't indict people for that. And they never, ever, ever ran for office saying, if I'm elected, I will get Trump. Get Trump. That's what the campaign pledge was. That's why I wrote my book, Get Trump. The threat to civil liberties, due process, and or our constitutional rule of law. By the way, the book has been a bestseller on Amazon, but it's not for sale in independent bookstores. I told you that yesterday. I checked again today. Still true. So if you want it, I guess you got to go on Amazon. By the way, the the blockage of books has been cleared up so you can get the book more quickly than you used to. And I, I, I hope you will. But the Get Trump campaign is not limited to New York. It's happening in Georgia. It's happening in Florida. It's happening in Washington, D.C. And for all we know, it may be happening elsewhere. But you know what I suspect is happening, too? I suspect there are some Republican district attorneys around the country. Who knows where? Maybe somewhere in Delaware. Uh, maybe somewhere in Maryland that are now rummaging through their books to see if maybe they can get Biden. Because if you can get Trump, you can get Biden. If you can't get Joe Biden, you can get Hunter Biden. I think it was somebody, somebody sent me one of the letters today was really remarkable. I'll, I'll read it to you later. I won't bother to look for it now. But it was a quote from a very famous man about how easy it is to find sins and crimes if you look hard at uh, people's uh, lives. So the, the question is not whether they found something that technically, technically may be able to pass uh, a motion dismissed. That's not the issue. The issue was why did they look for it? The issue is why did they devote so many resources? I know some of the lawyers who are on this team that Bragg brought into court and some he didn't bring into court who were behind the scenes. These are really good lawyers. Um, these are lawyers with a lot of experience. These are lawyers who could be prosecuting murder cases and rape cases and robbery cases and, and, and Ponzi scheme cases and Madoff type cases. These are lawyers who could be involved in protecting victims. Let me tell you one thing about this indictment. There is no victim. Nobody's a victim. There's nothing in this indictment. There's nothing in the statement of facts that suggests that anyone was victimized. So here you have Bragg, who has failed to go after predators who have victims, people who mug and rob, who has done a terrible job, has one of the worst one-and-loss records of any district attorney in the country. Most district attorneys' one-and-loss records are in the 90%. This guy's in the, the 50s or something like that, maybe a little even lower than that. But there's no victim here. There are crimes, of course, where there are no victims, uh, and some of them should be prosecuted. But, you know, Madoff had victims. I know some of my friends, Ellie Wiesel, was a victim of, uh, of Madoff and others of my friends. But I have never seen so much 
time and energy and resources devoted previously to a victimless crime. Why? They don't need a victim. They don't want a victim. They're not doing this to protect the people of the city of New York from uh, crime. They're doing it to protect the city of New York from having people outside the city of New York vote for somebody that the people in the city of New York don't want them to vote for, namely Donald Trump. This is all about making sure that Donald Trump cannot run for president, or if he does run, that his electoral chances are ruined by the get Trump movement. That's what this is about. And the fact that there's no victims in this crime speaks volumes. You're allowed to prosecute victimless crimes, but who has ever heard of devoting these kinds of resources, these kinds of resources to going after uh, somebody for a record-keeping offense and then turning it into into a felony. It's a sad day. It's a bad day. It's a dangerous day. Um, I thought there was a possibility I might have to do a mea culpa on this show today. I really thought, you know, who was it? Cromwell, who, who once said, I beseech you in the bowels of Christ, you may be wrong. I'm a doubter. I doubt everything. I doubt myself. I doubt my friends. I doubt everything. I'm a doubter. I'm a skeptic. I'm a skeptic about everything. You know that. I'm skeptic about religion. I'm just a skeptic. So I was a skeptic about myself, and I was thinking as I went to sleep last night, what am I going to say on my podcast if this indictment contains a smoking gun? If they really found something, I thought maybe they'd find uh, serious tax evasion. Um, maybe they'd find you know, some other uh, fraud involving buildings on Wall Street where he overestimated the value of the building and underestimated for tax purposes. Or maybe he cheated. So that's what I was really thinking. Maybe they got him and that would have been serious. Maybe they got him on cheating somebody, on having a victim, on cheating a poor person. Then that would have been different. I would have had to go on television and, and, and apologize and I would have done it. But then I read this thing and I say, I was right from the very beginning. Uh, my record is preserved. As you know, my record is very, very good on predicting things. I predict a lot because I try not to base my predictions on my wishful thinking, like CNN. Um, by the way, even on CNN, I was watching CNN today when this happened, most of the commentators were saying they were extremely disappointed. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, they were hoping for more. Um, and of course, Democrats are hoping for more. And that doesn't mean there's going to be an acquittal. New York jury. These people who are on the jury in Manhattan, many of them voted for Bragg. Bragg promised them, these voters, these jurors, that they would get Trump. So can you get a fair trial? Would you want your brother, your uncle, to be tried in New York, in front of a jury that was as biased as this jury was. And this is not the usual bias. You know, I've done the O.J. Simpson case. I've done, you know, Klaus von Bülow. I've had biased jurors. I know what that means. The bias here is so passionate, so passionate. People aren't talking to people who they think are on the wrong side of the, of the Trump issue. And when you have those kinds of passions, no arguments by a lawyer, 
no presentation of the weakness of the case or of evidence is going to change somebody's mind. They're going to sit there like that. I've seen juries like that. I've seen juries sit there like that. Tell me what you want. I'm not budget. I know. I made up my mind. Don't bother about telling me about reasonable doubt. I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't like this guy. That's what they're going to do with Donald Trump. They don't like him. They don't want him to be president. They like Bragg. He promised to get Trump. He's gotten him. He's at least indicted him. So I think there's a fair chance there might be a conviction unless the trial is moved to Staten Island or to um, another county uh, in the north of New York City or upstate New York, where people still know Trump and they still have views. They either voted for him or against him, but they don't have the passions, the passions. I have felt these passions. I know what it feels like to sit next to Caroline Kennedy at a dinner party, somebody who I've known for years, somebody who's been in my home, I've been at her home. And for her to look me in the eye and say, Alan, if I knew you who defended Donald Trump in front of the Senate, if I knew you had been invited to this dinner party, I never would have come. And she said, I'm too polite to get up and leave now. But basically, she would never want to be in the same room with me again. That's the kind of passions or Larry David, an old friend who I've known for years, helped his daughter get into college, comes up to me on the porch of a, a store in Chilmark, screams at me. I say, Larry, can't we talk? No, we can't talk. You're disgusting. You're disgusting. You're disgusting. That's the kind of passion. Do you want to argue this case in front of Larry David? Do you want to argue this case in front of Caroline Kennedy? Caroline Kennedy would be a lot more polite, but she would be as fixed in her ideas. Did Carolyn Kennedy remember that I defended her uncle at Chappaquiddick against charges of homicide when he drove a car off the bridge and a woman died? Did she refuse to sit next to me when I defended him? Did she refuse to sit next to me when I defended Bill Clinton? I had dinner with Bill Clinton at Caroline Kennedy's house. We had dinner together. Did she complain that I defended Bill Clinton in an impeachment? No, but when I defended Donald Trump in the impeachment, I don't want to ever be in the same room with you again. That's the kind of passion that we will get in jury deliberations. I have to tell you, if there's a jury trial in Manhattan and you get even one or two jurors on that veneer who will give Donald Trump a fair chance, you're going to hear screaming and yelling from that jury room. You may see physical altercations in that jury room. Trump is not someone about whom you can have a rational decision, a discussion. There is Trump derangement syndrome. I believe in it. There are two such syndromes. There's Trump derangement syndrome and there's Israel derangement syndrome. I can talk to people, college, university students, talk to them about abortion, talk to them about gay rights, talk about, talk about Israel. <gasps> Their brain melts. Their brain disappears. And the same thing happens with Trump. Some of the same people, not all but some of the same people. And, you know, for me, it's Bill Buckley. We used to fight like mad. We used to argue on television. And then we'd go out and we'd have a drink and we'd have fun together. The, you know, yeah, you disagree with me. I disagree with you. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. But don't let it interfere with our friendship. I still have a handful of friends like that, um, but <laughs> not too many. And they won't be in the jury room. So not about me. This is about and it's not about Donald Trump. The issue is, can Trump get a fair trial? But it's Trump today. It's a Democrat tomorrow. It's your Uncle Charlie the day after. It's your niece. 
It's about the American system of justice. The American system of justice today took a body blow, a very, very serious body blow. Part of me, part of me was hoping that this indictment would really be very strong. It would seal the case. And it would not only make me apologize, but it would make me say, you know, maybe Bragg didn't do the wrong thing. Maybe the system of justice prevails, but this indictment just reaffirmed my views. Political case to the core and a case that would never have been brought had the person's name not been Donald Trump and had it not been in an 85% democratic city like uh, Manhattan, Manhattan, a borough. Um, and so it, it's a sad day and, and it's an upsetting day. And um, I, I don't know that we'll recover from it. In the end, he'll win the case. I don't believe the Supreme Court would sustain a decision based on a misapplication of the law like this, but that would take, you know, two years. The next election will be over by then. All right, let's look at some letters. You know, it's interesting. I used to divide my letters into two, the rumble, everybody would insult me, everybody would attack me, everybody would, you know. And then the YouTube letters where mostly people would, would praise me. Um, but lately, <laughs> the rumble letters have been uh, praising me. Um, uh, thank you for representing the Constitution of the United States. Thank you for being a model to other attorneys and leaving politics out of law. I appreciate your efforts with the amicus curiae brief. And then one, why in the love of God are you not representing him as lawyers or cheap suits? Now, I think some of his lawyers are, are quite good. They have a lot of experience. Um, these are hard cases uh, to be involved with because, you know, you have to master the art of dealing with the uh, uh, media as well as um, mastering the art of dealing with um, of the courts. And that's a very difficult thing to do. One second. I'm sorry. I have a special telephone that's only for television. It never rings, but somehow somebody got that number and, and called me again. Just turn it on. Okay. Um, as we were saying, Rumble is saying some nice things about me. Uh, you're an American hero. Keep up your first independence and the role as the country's greatest protector of constitutional rights. That's overstated, but I appreciate it. And then there's YouTube. Dear Professor Dershowitz, if Stormy Daniels tried to extort Trump, shouldn't a prosecutor or AG um, charge her? And there's a real good question about that. It's now probably, again, beyond the statute of limitations, but Bragg will figure out a way if he wanted to. If he wanted to, if he was motivated to get Stormy Daniels, he could. But he was motivated to get Trump instead. Your mattress tags analogy was hilarious. However, I'm sure you know that once you get it home, you can do whatever you want. Again, though, it's hilarious. I didn't know that. Uh, I will make sure, however, not to ever, ever pull the tag off my mattress. I not only accept the letter of the law, I accept the spirit of the law as well. Professor Dershowitz, put on your red cape and save the Constitution. Look, I loved Superman as a kid, truth, justice, and the American way. I also love Captain Marvel, Shazam, but I don't have a cape. All I have is a law book. I appreciate your, your arguments about the grand jury system. 
I agree with you that the preliminary hearing approach is far better, et cetera. I assume that it will be um, uh, unlikely to happen. It will be unlikely to happen. Oh, this is a good one. Remember I said I was an agnostic about everything, but I think that I could probably make it to heaven based on my actions. He says, hi, professor. An agnostic might be able to get into heaven if he can find a believer who will advocate for him. Well, I have believers who will advocate for me, including some rabbis uh, who have said that they appreciate my questioning attitude. At least I'm thinking about God and I'm thinking about religion. And even though I have my doubts, uh, those doubts are based on God's gift to me of an intellect and of an ability to doubt. Remember the first story in the Bible, all oh, so many stories of Adam and Eve, Eve uh, defying God, um, Abraham arguing with God, though the judge of all the universe will not himself do justice, um, etc. Okay, this is the quote I was talking about. This is Cardinal Richelieu, one of the great classical uh, intellectuals. If you give me six sentences written by the most innocent of men, I will find something in them with which to hang them. I, I, ha I didn't have a chance to check the quote, but it's a, it's a brilliant quote. And it, it just makes the point. And it's such an obvious point. If you give a prosecutor, and Bragg has unlimited resources, he has some of the best lawyers in the country working for him, and you tell them your assignment is to get Trump. Get Trump. That's your assignment. Get Trump. Don't read the book. Get Trump. I say get. Get Trump. That's my difference. But if you tell these lawyers to get Trump, they'll find something. And what's shocking about this indictment is after all these years, this is what they've come up with. I think they probably could have done better. But they didn't. And it really, really shows the incredible weakness of the case. Um, somebody writes to me and says, I always learn something new about the First Amendment. He was referring to the fact that I said the First Amendment has two elements, the right of the speaker to speak, but equally important, the right of the listener to listen, the right of the viewer to watch. And that's very important for everybody to remember about the First Amendment. <clears throat> OK, um, so. <clears throat> We're going to keep watch, obviously, on on the Trump case. We're going to see motions. Uh, they will be filed. They will almost certainly be denied. Another prediction. I'm predicting that this judge will not have the courage to throw out the case against Trump because he will not want to face his friends and relatives and have his finger pointed and saying people will say, that's the judge who threw out the case against Trump. You don't want to talk to him. That's what is facing Trump in the city of New York. We'll talk more about this tomorrow.